Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to a brand new episode of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. Here we are. Here we are. We're in our brand new recording facility. We've got to come up with a name, or maybe we should have a contest among our many listeners. That's a great idea, right? And what would they win? A All sticker? seven listeners can submit the ideas that they think that they should that we That's should right. call this room where we yeah. record Fed Heads every and I week. I think it would have to be if you submitted an idea, you get an award. That, <laughs> well, there probably will be the bar. sufficient number of submissions that we could do that. We have plenty of stickers. In- intending no disrespect to the loyal. Cadre of the listeners. people who listen are wonderful. Yep, all of I'm them. I'm not. I don't suspect there's a huge number of them. Is the issue? That's something to work on in season three. Wonderful. And we begin uh, this episode with two great folks. Two great folks. We're happy to have here. Uh, Dave Wenigren is the new leader of Act IAC and longtime friend. And I told a story about you that I'll tell in a little bit. And also welcome Kelly Morrison is here. It's nice to see you. You're new to Robert's organization. Indeed, How I am. How did he hoodwink you into coming to work for him? Who wouldn't want to work with Robert? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Kelly Morrison doesn't work for anyone. Can we just be clear? Okay, fair. Yeah. We all, this is Kelly's world. We all live in it. All right. I'll take that. <laughs> uh, that's an acceptable answer. Yeah. Um, so you're new at Greenthorpe. What will you be doing for this organization? I am new. This is day eight, and I am on a mission to help drive value for TBM within federal sector. All right. Uh, we just did some discussions about TBM on government matters, and it's a topic I'm really interested in because it strikes, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, strikes me as something that's a a real shift in the way the federal government has looked at buying and using information technology. Is that reasonable? Absolutely. Yes. How so? Oh, well, I think that we'll get into it as we talk about the topics that that we're going to be covering oh, today. what Dave wanted to talk about. You talk about what you want to talk about. <laughs> Go for it. Sorry, Dave. Go for it. This is an important topic, <laughs> you know? I mean, I always say, like, no matter how effective government organizations are, they may not have had a long history of being able to demonstrate business cases and the return on an investment in technology. So TBM is hugely important. It is. And I TBM remember... TBM stands for? Technology Business Management. And I remember when I first joined OMB, Dave and I got together to talk about how, how we could start a CPIC reform effort. There has been so much that has been the same since capital planning investment control was established under the Klinger Cohen Act. And with the influx of technology, I think that the stars are aligning where we can take an open source standard such as TBM and really modernize the way that the federal government does capital planning. My old boss, Bill Klinger, would be so proud. I'm sure he's cheering from the sidelines. It is like a perfect storm, right? Because if you do a better job of having outcome-based performance measures and you do a better job of being agile and doing things in smaller increments, it becomes easier and easier to define an outcome, figure out the cost of that outcome, figure out the benefits of that outcome to make more speedy decisions. That's right. And when you have real data instead of manual reporting. Imagine replacing decisions based on fear and anecdote with a data-driven decision. Absolutely. They don't even need us. Francis. No, They're that's just, right. The thing drives itself. They're doing their own. It's, it's like good comedy. The jokes write themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good team. There we go. <laughs> that's right. Before we started taping, we were talking about 
topics that would be of interest. And you raised a story near and dear to my heart, the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act. Oh, for God's sake. You, you may not know this, but I, w- I was a commissioner on the Commission on Evidence. Yeah, I was. I was. <laughs> well, Francis needs to be reminded almost every episode. And is constantly reminded. Yeah. It was that. an A-team effort. Anyway, but yeah. that, that really does strengthen governance around data so that it can be leveraged and used in decision-making of all kinds. Absolutely. It is just hugely important. Data has always been profoundly important. Always in government been sitting on troves of it. And, and, you know, when things happen, like GPS data gets released, but even just more fundamentally, being able to, as I joked before, make decisions based on data and evidence is just so powerfully important. And so big kudos on the act, because I just think this whole creation... Please, he didn't write it. Don't, don't make it sound like he wrote it, for heaven's sake. Actually. That's not what I hear. I, I mean, I hear, I hear he was tangentially involved with it, I and it turns a, into this big thing like he, he wrote it or I, something. He keeps a copy of the bill in his coat jacket, I well, think. Well, that I don't doubt. I'm sure that he's going to ride that bill until he's in the box. As well he should. As well he should. Go you ahead, can. Robert. Pull it out. Yeah. <laughs> I do have a cop, uh, picture of little Ev here that yeah, I'm holding up for our listeners. He brought he, he brought that on the television show for heaven's sake. It's, hey, a, well, it's it, a little caricature of it, the foundation. Bill from, from his Capitol long Hill. history in government, as well as in industry. You know the things you measure, the things you focus your time and attention on, and we're shining a spotlight now on the power of data and what it can do to make a difference. And and that's just going to be a top agenda for us. If I had to sort of sum up the year ahead, I would say delivering outcomes, building trust, or core tenants that we at ACT IAC will be talking about all year long in all of the work that we do. Particularly, I will do a, a, a gratuitous shout out too because of course it is an election year and so we will be working on Agenda 2021 mm-hmm. uh, regardless of election outcome, either a second term president's management agenda or tr- fodder for a transition team. And and the illustrious Robert Shea is one of our co-chairs of our steering group for that work. And, and that's sort of the rallying cry, delivering outcomes and building trust. And I think these issues around data, modernization and cybersecurity all at their heart around helping to build trust and having better outcomes. So pretty much what you're saying is that we're just going to keep hearing about stuff like commissioner and all that jazz forever. It's because Mr. People, Chairman now. People, it's Mr. Chairman now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Did I ever tell you my Mr. Chairman story about Jim Trafficking? No. Okay. I'll tell you that maybe at the end of this podcast. Okay, great. I, it's not to try to get people to just hang on. Plus, you said you had a story about me. You got to tell at the end of the oh, podcast, too. Oh, right. So I, we should just have a story <laughs> podcast you. where we just come on and tell each other stories. Isn't that what we do anyway? Well, that's kind of true. All right. Tie together the modernization effort, Dave, and cybersecurity, because the first interview I did on this topic when I went to Federal News Radio in, like, 2006 was with Mark Foreman. And he was talking then, we can't bolt on cybersecurity after the fact as we're modernizing the systems. And here we are 14 years later, and no disrespect to what you wrote, what you wrote is 100% accurate, but we're still talking about basically the same concept, if not doing it exactly the same. Absolutely. Way. And I'd be gratuitous if I didn't say Mark Foreman, another champion on our presidential election. Yeah, but he's not the chairman. No, he's not the co-chair, and, uh, but, but he's still a member of the group. I, I, think, I think you're spot on. I mean, it's an issue that will never die as an important issue. And, and the whole point about baking it in rather than bolting it on is still germane. But I do think that there's a lot of things that we should be proud of. And the last time I was on Government Matters with you, we talked a little bit about the federal cloud strategy and how, you know, this idea about cloud smart as opposed to cloud first 
puts a new focus on cybersecurity risk management and how the applications need to be rationalized, not just the infrastructure move to the crop. Mm -hmm. And so the combination, I think the, the perfect storm of cybersecurity is a national imperative, a focus on data and recognizing that IT modernization has to get the, this thing around if we were to have strong identities, have data that was secure at the data level, and attributes about people, that marriage could allow us to expose information to people that need it when they need it in much more rapid fashion. And that leads to the whole story around zero trust networks and how we shouldn't just be doing security around the perimeter of a network or an enclave, and instead we should be doing data level security and strong identities and verifying constantly who's on the network so you can avoid things like insider threats. And it's, you know, as they used to say about some of the networks in DoD, crunchy on the outside but soft and tender in the middle. Once mm -hmm. you get in, you can do anything. Yeah. So, Kelly, you've just come out of government. We talked about a lot of topics. Rate the maturity of the organizations across government that you worked with in these areas, data management, modernization, cyber. Well, <clears throat> I've had the opportunity to work directly with Food and Drug Administration, Interior, OMB, and most recently USAID. Um, I also have had the opportunity to serve as a desk officer for many more of the agencies. And um, modernization absolutely is a challenge for almost every organization out there. Um, there's so much legacy that continues to exist and therefore really poses a significant security challenge for us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why, again, the cloud smart strategy was, I think, is really important because it recognizes that, that moving your infrastructure to the cloud is a, is a great first step, but you still, even if you do that, you have these thousands of legacy systems. And as, as we all know, yep. many federal agencies are still spending 80% of their IT budgets sustaining the old. And the old precludes adoption of more digital solutions, and the old also introduces huge cyber vulnerabilities. Absolutely. And if we don't do it in a strategic fashion, in a few years, we're going to be working on cloud consolidation hmm. <laughs> instead of data center consolidation. So you that, heard the prediction here. Yeah, so that's kind of where I wanted to go next, because one of the, the transitions, I guess, that we've seen in the cloud conversation over the last six or eight years has been when, when the the conversation first started, the idea was we move to the cloud, we pay for what we need. It was a cost-driven conversation. I don't hear that so much anymore. A lot of it is for the kinds of efficiencies that you're talking about and, and modernization efforts and so on. What's driven that change and were we thinking about it the wrong way before or are we? is this an evolution or what? what's the difference, I guess? I, I do think that there's a prize to how money is spent in a cloud buying environment. If you, if you do consumption-based buying, you, you buy on demand with what you need and not to get too esoteric about government appropriations, but, but much of the legacy spend is what they call operations and maintenance money, which is when your money, right, and, and it can be used for everything from paying electric bills to sustaining stuff. Uh, if you go and build, buy something new, oftentimes you have to use different kinds of money for that. But if you're buying consumption-based buying like cloud, you can continue to use the own and money that you have, which precludes you from having to go through reprogramming or, you know, budget requests in a time of CRs. But I, but I think you're spot on, setting that point aside, that it's not not a cosplay. 
If the only reason you were moving to the cloud was you thought you were going to save X amount of dollars, you may, if your past pattern was to always buy more that you needed, more than you needed to be at peak capacity when you had to. But really the play is about more capabilities, right? And letting somebody else stay at pace of the technology refresh and allowing you access to widgets and apps and things that will help you drive better business results, not just a one for one dollar shift. Who does that well today? Who, who does that well today? Well, lots of private sector firms do, right? It's a little bit more nascent in government, I think. But you're starting to see more and more penetration of cloud in places like DHS, DOD starting to make some progress. So th there are agencies that are using their cloud adoption policies to help drive like better results. But clearly the big cloud service providers, the AWSs, the Microsofts, the Googles of the world, are masters at being able to give you an environment where you could ask for what you needed and get it on the buy as you need basis. What do you see in, in that area, Kelly? Is that all what Dave said all makes sense to you? Makes great sense. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> Darn um, I would also... Francis was, was so hoping you were going to say, well, that was crazy. I really well, was. We were hoping for the first disagreement on that. Right. It's really, you know, fingers crossed, but that's all right. Dave makes great points, and I'll also add that I think that largely the shift has come f because we recognize that we don't have a strong baseline of what costs are, what we're spending on IT or other mm -hmm. um, areas for that matter. So as we move into the cloud, as we move to consumption-based models, we have the ability to, for the first time, really understand what it is that we're paying for, what we're getting for that, and the value that we're able to achieve. What is your sense of what that looks like Five years from now, is will the data make that easier to understand? Will we should we expect better and better and better results as the time as time goes on and we have more information? Yes, if we demand it from the vendors. So if we are not looking for the the quality, if we're not asking for the cost data that we need, we're not going to get it. Um, but I think that the government is in the position to be able to, to ask for that and have a much better understanding of um, cost, quality, value. So the president released his budget. You were at OMB to produce budgets. Yeah. And you, you worked on that IT chapter where we routinely tallied investments in IT across the board. You've just said we don't know what we spend on IT. How closely does that capture the total investment in IT, is it more or less? My personal prediction is that it's approximately a third of what we really spend on IT. Good Lord. Wow. Wow. So in the, the, the calculation is about $80 billion, is that right? And yes. so you think it's about $200, $200 billion? Two to three. Wow. When you think about technologies embedded in major programs, right? And so sometimes, and even within the technology budget, we underestimate how much we spend on, for example, cybersecurity. Because, again, things are embedded in bigger programs that might not be a technology program but have a strong technology component. Even so, if you don't know what it costs, you right. really can't adequately manage that investment. That's right. It does make it harder, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if we're self-reporting versus leveraging authoritative data from our financial management systems and our asset management systems and consumption-based systems that give us very rich data for decision-making, then it really is just a, um, just a swag or an estimate. So connecting to the real data sources is going to be incredibly valuable for agencies and with the technology that we have today, AI, 
um, and a number of other technologies, we're in a great position to change the way that we've been doing it for the last 22-ish years. Does that make you happy, Commissioner Data? <laughs> That's right. Well, so satisfied I'm with that, buddy? Well, you mean that, that we know more or will know more? Yes. Yes, someday. If yes. you knew more, you would make better decisions. There's no doubt about it. I'm not and, sure and if right, that logic flows. Well, I, I, but, well, I mean, but, if, if you knew more nice about, if you knew yeah. about finances. The chances right? are better. Chances are You'll better. You'll make better decisions but, if you have better data. But I also will caution us that we should do everything we can to have better financial visibility. There's not a successful company in the world that doesn't understand how their money is being spent. And government needs to do that, too. But we got to make sure that we don't use that as an excuse because there is just, like, so much important technology work that can be done today in the government despite the lack of clarity. And so it almost has to be like sort of parallel paths. We need to do a better job of understanding what we spend and what we get for what we spend so we can make better trade-off choices about whether to continue something or to stop it because we don't stop stuff often enough. But at the same time, these moves about embracing modern technology like robotic process automation and AI are, are driving huge results even if you don't have a really firm grasp on how much the total cost of how we do it today is. All right, we're al we're almost out of time. Anything that you want, either of you want to add that we haven't already covered? No, what was the story? I want to hear the tell Dave story. <laughs> oh, so the Dave story. So, uh, 2006, first year of Federal News Radio, and this guy comes in to to do a thing, a, like a book club thing, with me and another guy that was there, and nicest guy in the world, and was a big deal, big chief information officer, big deal. And His name the, will go at the end unrevealed. At the end, he says, "If I can ever do anything for you, let me know." And so I believed him, and I started asking him questions and sending him emails and stuff like that. And he was as nice as he could be. It was Dave Wintergren. Oh, that man. guy right there. All right. I was hoping for something different. Oh. <laughs> something. Well, yeah, that's not a very good story. I just love Fed heads. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you've been a great friend over the years. I really appreciate Amen. it. And, Kelly, it's great to see you. Thank you for coming in. Congratulations on the new job. And, uh, Robert, nice to be with you as always. Good to be with you. Thanks for listening to The Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.